This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. During his state visit to America, Narendra Modi, India's Prime Minister, addressed Congress, a rare privilege twice awarded him. He also fielded two questions at a press conference, the first he has participated in since taking office nine years ago. Asked about his human rights record, including his treatment of Muslims, and clamped down on the press, Mr Modi said, there is, quote, absolutely no space for discrimination. Earlier, India announced that it would buy MQ-9 Reaper drones from America. America's Coast Guard announced the catastrophic implosion of the submersible that went missing in the North Atlantic on Sunday. All five passengers died. A remotely operated vehicle found debris from the Titan about 500 metres from the wreckage of the Titanic. It was unclear when the submersible imploded. None of the sonar boys deployed in the search picked up any signal of it. Zambia reached a debt relief deal three years after defaulting on its loans. Bilateral lenders, including China, Zambia's largest, will postpone repayments of loans worth $6.3 billion. Private sector creditors are expected to follow suit on debts of $6.8 billion. The agreement unlocks $188 million from the IMF that was agreed to in a $1.3 billion bailout last year. Turkey's central bank raised interest rates by a smaller than expected 6.5 percentage points to 15%, reversing an unconventional policy favoured by Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president, of lowering rates to try to tackle the country's high inflation. Meanwhile, the Bank of England's interest rate hike of half a percentage point was larger than expected. It brought rates to 5%, their highest level since the financial crisis. Ford, an American car maker, will receive a $9.2 billion government loan for a joint venture with SK On, a South Korean battery giant, to build three factories in America. The loan, the largest to any American carmaker since the 2009 financial crisis, marks an effort by the Biden administration to break China's dominance of the green tech industry. The government has pledged at least $400 billion in green subsidies over the next decade. Kristalina Georgieva, the head of the IMF, said that rich countries pledged $100 billion in special drawing rights a quasi-currency created by the fund to support developing countries in the fight against climate change. Separately, Senegal announced a new $2.7 billion funding package, backed by several European countries and Canada, to reach a 40% share of renewables in its energy mix by 2030. A Russian court rejected an appeal against the pre-trial detention of Evan Gershkovich, an American journalist ahead of his trial for espionage. Mr. Gershkovich was arrested in March while reporting for the Wall Street Journal. If sentenced, he would face up to 20 years in prison. America's government has declared that he is wrongfully detained. And figure of the day, 14,000, the number of levels in Candy Crush Saga a maddeningly addictive mobile game published by Activision Blizzard. 
And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Ukraine is talking as well as fighting. A new Ukrainian diplomatic counteroffensive is beginning. Following a two-day fundraiser in London this week, senior officials from Ukraine and the West, as well as from countries friendlier to Russia, are expected to meet in Copenhagen in the coming days. They will be preparing for a possible peace summit, which might be held in Paris next month. Participants in Copenhagen may include Brazil, India, and just possibly China. The proposed peace summit, convened to discuss Ukraine's 10-point peace plan, including the demand that Russia leaves all Ukrainian land, would exclude Russia. Envoys from Brazil, China, and African countries have visited Moscow and Kiev in recent weeks seeking a ceasefire. The West once regarded such calls as tantamount to freezing Russia's gains. But now it is encouraging their diplomacy to ensure that Ukraine has a voice in the global South. The West hopes that, forced to contend with the reality of the war, even the non-aligned may recoil from Russia's imperial land grab. At the least, the diplomacy shows Ukraine is ready to talk. Republicans vie for evangelical votes. On Friday, Mike Pence, an evangelical Christian, and Ron DeSantis, a Catholic, will address a gathering of conservative Christian activists organized by the Faith and Freedom Coalition. The next day, those Republican presidential hopefuls will be followed by another, Donald Trump, whose Manhattan church said in 2015 he was, quote, not an active member. About a quarter of American voters call themselves white evangelical Christians. They overwhelmingly supported Mr. Trump in the past two elections, but with a big field of Republicans vying for the 2024 nomination, others are hoping to take votes by demonstrating their religious bona fides. Since the spring, they have been meeting faith leaders in Iowa, where two-thirds of Republican primary voters are evangelicals. One weak spot for Mr. Trump could be abortion. The president, who takes credit for the reversal of Roe v. Wade, allowing states to outlaw the procedure, has been unenthusiastic about a federal ban. Quote, The hashtag Iowa caucuses, one evangelical leader tweeted in May, quote, are wide open. Paris prepares for the Olympics. Olympic Day, which commemorates the founding of the International Olympic Committee in Paris in 1894, will be marked on Friday, with the IOC encouraging sports fans around the world to get moving. The day will have particular resonance in the French capital, which will host its third Olympiad in 2024. The city is already gearing up, with a new aquatic center and athletes' village under construction. Not all is going smoothly, however. On June 20th, anti-corruption investigators raided the offices of the Paris Olympics Organizing Committee, based just outside Paris, as well as the public body in charge of the sites being used for the Games. A month earlier, the head of the French National Olympic and Sports Committee resigned amid internal disagreements. Amélie Udea Castera, the government minister for sports, 
has called for an ethical and democratic jolt at the committee. With the games beginning in just over a year, she now needs to make sure that the city runs a clean, as well as an orderly and festive games. Pain for British Mortgage Holders To counter stubbornly high inflation, on Thursday the Bank of England raised interest rates for the 13th time in 18 months, to 5%, from just 0.1% in December 2021. Where base rates go, mortgage rates follow. In three weeks, the annual rate on an average two-year deal has risen by nearly three-quarters of a percentage point, to 6.2%, just below its peak after last year's disastrous mini-budget. It is the fastest tightening since 1989, when rates neared 15%. The Resolution Foundation, a think tank, calculates that by the end of 2024, average annual mortgage payments will have increased by £2,000, $2,547, On Friday, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, will meet lenders to ask how they will help. Higher financing costs put a squeeze on house prices, although interest rates are lower than they were 35 years ago. Mortgaged households are much more highly leveraged, making a 6% rate today as painful as 13% then. By 1992, house prices had fallen by 30% in real terms. Today's property market looks similarly jittery. Inside the World of Arthur Russell When Arthur Russell died in 1992, at the age of 40, he had released only three solo albums and was barely known beyond New York's experimental art scene. But the cellist and composer's apartment was overflowing with notebooks, letters, handwritten scores, and nearly 1,000 tapes of recorded material. Russell's posthumously published music spans genres as disparate as country, disco, folk, and pop. On Friday, a new collection of tracks, sourced from tape archives, test pressings, and his family's collection, will be released by Rough Trade and Autica Records. Compiling nine previously unheard recordings from 1985 and 1986, Pictures of Bunny Rabbit features Russell's signature ghostly vocals and offers a closer insight into an artist championed for his individuality, imagination, and intimacy. Recorded around the time he was diagnosed with HIV and the release of his magnum opus, World of Echo, This latest collection further demonstrates Russell's ceaseless creative curiosity in the face of hardship. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quiz espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Friday. Which is the smallest and newest branch of the U.S. Armed Services, established only in 2019? Thursday. Which building was the tallest in the world between 1931 
and 1970. The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random were Sunil Chabra, Mississauga, Canada, Margot Conrad, Stratford, Iowa, America, Jaime Jean, Mexico City, Mexico. They all gave the correct answers of Berlusconi, Burke, Unit, and Image. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alan Turing, who was born on this day in 1912. We can only see a short distance ahead, but we can see plenty there that needs to be done. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.